We're here. Professional Wrestling Podcast of God's Green Earth. What? Feeling good. Oh, hell yeah! Welcome, everybody, to the Town Alone pro- <laughs> Remix. Welcome, everybody, to the Town Alone Professional Wrestling Podcast. I am your host, Mike Regan. And you are listening to the greatest professional wrestling podcast on God's Green Earth. We are back with another amazing episode. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune in. If you are joining us today, we got a lot to talk about. And I am going to jump right into it. Got some WWE, got some AEW. And to avoid running out of time for WWE, which I've had a bad habit of doing uh, recently because AEW has been dominating the headlines in many ways, I'm going to start with the uh, the company based out of Stamford, Connecticut. Are they still going to be based there after the merger? No, that's not information anybody's wondering about. But let's get into it. This Saturday, they had a show in Pittsburgh live from PPG Arena called Payback. And uh, kind of talk about that and some of the goings-ons in the Fed. I decided to cook up a little bit of a fan-favorite edition, a classic, a classic format of WWE Stock Up, Stock Down. All right. So first up. We got to stock up. And that goes to Zoe Stark. So, for those who saw Payback or have uh, got caught up on it, following the steel cage match between Trish Stratus. I think I actually nailed that. I usually always mush her name together and call her Trish Stratus. <laughs> um, versus Becky Lynch. Becky Lynch gets the win, puts that rivalry to bed. And then afterwards, we have kind of the split up. Stratus gets in Stark's face. Stark lays her out. With the Z360. Um, splitting that up. Next night on Raw. She had a match with Baszler. Baszler kind of gave her some props. That she gave her a better fight than Rousey ever did. Yada yada yada. Kind of got a vibe. Maybe a possible pairing there. Which could be interesting. Just two badass women. Kicking some ass. I'd kind of like that. Um, dear God. Keep them away from the women's tag titles though. Because those are just cursed items. At this point. Also. There are reports being floated out there, scoop scoops, um, that Stark has impressed in her time up uh, on the main roster since getting called up from NXT, and the powers that be have taken notice, and um, that tracks, if you ask me. She's done pretty well for herself since coming up, and the situation with her and Stratus was kind of like a really good spot for her. It kind of let her kind of like slowly dip her feet in. Uh, these first few months on the main roster instead of just like throwing her in head first. She kind of got, you know, wasn't the main part of a story, but was a very well added on part to a story, you know, featuring two very big stars in that division. And it helped her. She got a lot of TV time and was able to kind of slowly dip her feet in, move her way, learn how to uh, learn to lay the land on the main roster and has done really well. So, Props to Zoe Stark, our very first stock up. Our first stock down. And I can't believe I'm even putting these guys in stock down. I didn't think this would ever happen. This is a, a historic episode of the Town Alone Pro Wrestling Podcast. 
the bloodline. I'm saying it. My, my old stock down, but still stock down nonetheless. W what are we doing here, guys? <laughs> I'm starting to get a little worried. So if you catch SmackDown last week, Jimmy's basically rejoined the bloodline, I guess. He left the bloodline. He's kind of just been like a dick to everybody. His brother chucked up the deuces, deuces and left. And then in the main event, he interfered to help Solo Sokoa beat AJ Styles. Afterwards, Sokoa grabbed him by the goozle, was going to give him the old Samoan Spike, RIP Umaga, and Heyman stopped him and, you know, was, was taken aback by Jimmy's actions, but it was assessing the situation, and then Jimmy super kicked and splashed AJ Styles. So I guess he's trying to get back in the bloodline's good graces. It, I maintain my thought that it's starting to feel like we are booking as we go here. And I'm sure they still have an end goal in mind as far as how this Roman run will end. The, I feel like they have the bow. You know, they have the bow ready to go on the package. But they're still working on wrapping it until we get to this time to put the bow on. So I'm getting a little concerned. Not that I should be. Um, or not that WWE should be. Because they did 2.4 million viewers last week. Which in 2023 TV rating speak is really fucking good. Stock up. Tiffany Stratton, NXT Women's Champion. You know, she had her a little cameo on Raw a couple weeks ago that I mentioned in the uh, Payback Predictions article, which also, if you didn't read those, or the all-out predictions, you know, shame, for shame. Um, and then following her successful title defense last night um, on NXT, Becky Lynch appeared on the screen and said she will be defending her title against her next week. The only title that Becky Lynch has not won, women's title, um, that she has not won in that company. So just by getting to be in the ring with arguably the top female star in the company, uh, super stock up for Stratton. Because they don't just put people in that position if they don't think highly of them. <laughs> Even if Becky Lynch beats Stratton for the title, they still would not put her in that position if they don't think highly of her so stock up the stratton stock is up stock down very mild stock down the jay uso situation very mild because i have concerns so payback wasn't exactly a loaded show we talked about it it's like a, a six match card roman's obviously not going to be on that show you know you can't you're gonna He's not going to get out of bed for payback. I mean, come on. You think the guy you think the guy who's had the title for three years is going to get out of bed for payback? Get out of here. So Cody came out. He did an episode of the Grayson Waller effect or, you know, low, low rent Miz TV, which is just, you know, low rent Piper's Pit, which is we can go on and on. Um, and Cody said that he cashed in whatever political chips he had. Um to do something you know, he may regret and got Jey Uso signed to Monday Night Raw. Main event Uso, main event Jay, pardon me, is now Monday Night Raw bound. And they did some good stuff with him on his first episode at Raw. They do have a good dynamic there with basically all of the sins of Roman now staring at Jay. You know, beef with McIntyre, beef with Riddle. All these people who Roman and the Bloodline screwed over are now looking at Jay on their show and kind of licking their lips and uh, and just waiting, waiting for him to get froggy so they can jump. So I do like that. I like that dynamic. 
I guess my mild concerns come from babyface, top of that babyface um, card, getting a little crowded. Seth, Cody, Jay, you can put Zayn in there still. Um, so it's getting a little crowded. So it'll be interesting to see how they balance all those pieces. Um, I also, I just don't like Cody being the one to come out and announce that he pushed in his political chips to get Jay over to Raw. It At times in the past, when sometimes they'll have like their top white meat baby face kind of put their arm around like another hot baby face, bring them in. You know, like, it, was like, it was like whenever someone all of a sudden got hot, they'd do a thing where Cena would team with them on Raw and be like, ah, I'll get the, you, you guys like this guy, right? Yeah. And it just has had a, has a weird feeling with me. Maybe it's uh, some sort of PTSD I have from some Super Cena things that I have still not gotten over, but me and my therapist are working on it. I promise he tells me that Super Cena in my dreams cannot hurt me, but I do not believe him. Stock up. The Judgment Day. They are running things to the extreme right now. Awesome. What was it? A Pittsburgh pit yard beat. Okay. Awesome, you know, no holds barred or whatever you want to call it. No DQ. Street fight. It was basically a fancy word for street fight based on the city they were in at Payback. Um, where after a lot of chicanery and uh, our girl Rhea Ripley spearing Owens through the barricade. The Judgment Day. Finn Balor and Damian Priest are now WWE, I guess unified WWE Tag Team Champions. More gold around the waist of Judgment Day. They're all sporting belts. You also got Priest sporting the briefcase. He now has a cool purple briefcase because, you know, purple is just cooler than green. I mean, that's just that's kind of a fact. Um, and then there's also now this J.D. McDonough wrinkle. He keeps like trying to like get his way in there and he'll like do one thing that they'll like. They'll be like, oh yeah, thanks JD. And then he'll do one thing that gets on their nerves and they'll be like, get this kid away from me. <laughs> so it, it's a fun dynamic. Obviously Finn Balor looking out for his countrymen, trying to bring the old lass in. Uh, old Laden. Sorry about that. Sorry JD. Didn't mean to call you a lass there. <laughs> um, bring him into the fold. Is it a, is he a sleeper cell? Could his addition spell the demise for Damien Priest? Could, Finn Balor pushing for his addition lead for the lead to them saying, yeah, JD's in, but you are out many ways it could go. But what's most important to remember and uh, is evident by television every week, the judgment day runs raw right now. Stock down. <clears throat> Pardon me. Sorry. Frog in my throat. Stock down. <laughs> Matt Riddle. And this is probably more of a personal opinion, but he's basically back to doing the whole like goofy oaf tag team partner thing where he's going to be all like, oh, bro, I'm goofy. And like, whoa. And then McIntyre, you're all like serious. So like, bro, we'll be best friends and tag teams. And I'm changing the channel as we speak. I'm prematurely changing the channel. I turn on USA at random times throughout the week and just change the channel ahead of time just to prep my, my channel changing finger for when that comes on my TV. I am so out on that. I was one of the rare, I wouldn't say rare, I was one of the minority um, that didn't get into RK Bro, and I'm not going to get into this probably. I just think Riddle has so much more potential as a more serious heel-leaning character than just being stoner idiot number one who hangs out with big serious guy number two. So, pass for me, and he's on stock down.
stock up. We're holding out hope still. I know I was wrong in my prediction. Knock did not get it done at payback. But all you Nakamura fans out there, stay strong with me, people. People who worship at the shrine of the king of strong style, do not abandon hope just yet. Because it looks like they're setting up for another title match. I, bet, I think the next pay-per-view is like Fastlane or like B-Show pay-per-view. So they're probably just killing time until Survivor Series, whatever Rollins is doing there. But you never know. Hold out hope. And hey, we're going to get another world title match featuring Shinsuke Nakamura. So I'm giving him a stock up, even if it is for totally selfish and personal reasons. Stock down. America. That's who the stock down is for. All of America. Gunther retained his Intercontinental title in the main event of Monday Night Raw against Chad Gable. They had a banger of a match. Gable came up short, but still a great match. But unfortunately, that means it looks like uh, looks like time's up for old old Honky Tonk Man. America's greatest champ. <clears throat> Sorry, America's greatest champion, the Honky Tonk Man. His 454 day reign. As intercontinental champion. Intercontinental. Keep that in mind, people. That is inter, between continents. He ruled the world for 454 days. You know, as a pride of the red, white, and blue, of the American dream. If you work hard, if you put your dues in, people, you too can be a Elvis impersonator slash wrestler and hold the title for 454 days. And that American dream is about to be washed away by this Austrian SOB, Gunther, who currently sits at 453. 453, people. Time is running out. Like I said, I'm recording here on a Wednesday. Um, a Wednesday. And uh, that means by midnight tonight, he'll tie it. And on Friday, on Friday, time will be up. And America will lose the last thing it's holding on to as its, its history of glory. One of the upsides to our history is the Honky Tonk Man. So people, if you are out and about, if you're getting gas, if you're at the grocery store and you see Gunther, it's time. Boots on the ground. It's time to be an American hero, people. I need you to sneak up behind that man. I need you to I need you to roll him up. I need you to hit him with schoolboy. I need you to call up Mr. Paul Smaggage and hit him with that small package. Have your buddy with the ref shirt on. Count the three. We got to save America. Side note, Talent Alone is not endorsing anybody to engage in any sort of physical confrontation with Gunther if you see him out in public. Nor do we encourage you to jump the stands at any live event attempting to take the title off Gunther. However, if you do, make sure our name is mentioned in the eventual article written up because, you know, all press is good press. Final stock up. And this actually ties into a question that was sent into the show. Final stock up goes to L.A. Knight. Yeah. Yeah. Town Alone Pro Wrestling Podcast super fan, Radam Ress, shoot name, not making it up, sent in a question. Should we be worried about LA Knight? And this coincides beautifully with my new weekly segment, the LA Knight Update. He wonders, should we be worried? He kind of got taken to the mat on the mic by The Miz, and he's not exactly, you know, a four-star worker. Worry not, young Radham. Everything is going to be okay. The first part, the mic with Miz, I thought he held him. I thought he held his own fine. You know, I thought he did good there. I didn't really feel like one dominated the other. But that 
that one's up more to interpretation. Four-star worker part. It's the part I want to key in here on why he's going to be okay. He does not need to be a Matt technician. He does not need to be a Brian Danielson, a Kazuchika Okada, a Bret Hart. He's just got to be good. This has got to be solid and good in the ring. Because at the end of the day, the in-ring is super important. But you can go in with, okay, good in-ring work. And if you got the charisma and the character, and if you can go in there in the ring and tell a story that can get the crowd in the palm of your hand, then, hey, man, that's all you really got to do. You know, I mean, it's a totally different business now, but let's not forget that Hulk Hogan made millions upon millions that he eventually lost, but he made millions upon millions simply off of getting beaten down, hulking up, big boot, leg drop, pay window, brother. <laughs> like, and obviously wrestling has changed. The in-ring aspect of it has become so much more important. But there have been so many matches through history that we can say like there's matches I'll watch and a good match goes to a great match if the crowd gets really behind that one person and they tell that really good story and you know they they're working the crowd. It, I, it's a very part of this is a little hypocritical coming from me, but it's a very niche audience that will pay money, buy a pay-per-view, turn on their TV, whatever, just because they know the two people in a match are amazing in-ring workers. Now, you may push back. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You just drove to Toronto earlier this year to go to Forbidden Door. Just, you know, over the moon excited to see Okada versus Danielson. And Omega versus Osprey. But in both those cases, yes, those guys are phenomenal in-ring workers. But what pushes those things over the top isn't just that I know I'm going to go in there and I'm going to see two guys who can work amazingly in the ring. It's that accompanied with that is they also have a, a character and a charisma and a story. Even with Okada Danielson, the story was simple. These two have been considered by many over the last 10, 15 years, the two greatest wrestlers in the world. Who's the best wrestler? Now, if that was the story of a match involving, you know, Jeff Bob and Joe Steve, who were just two superly vanilla, boring guys, but my God, they're technical savants in the ring. I wouldn't care as much because Danielson's amazing work in the ring doesn't grab me if he doesn't have the awesome character that he has behind it if he doesn't do those little things if he doesn't not only do great in ring work but do it in the way that tells an amazing story in the ring and sucks the crowd in because really that's all that's all this business is i mean look at like stone cold steve austin great worker honestly doesn't get enough credit for how good of a worker he was but as his body started to take on injuries he realized and he got super over he realized, you know, instead of going, slamming the pedal down on what we're doing in the ring, 
I can do less. I can tell the right story. I can get that crowd in the palm of my hand and I'll do just as well as if we go wild and what we're doing in the ring. Roman Reigns is, I go talk about him constantly. I mean, the dude realizes that, yeah, we can go in the ring, we can flip fly Canadian destroyer, Tope Suicida, bing, bang, boom, or we're going to get in there. Um, I'm going to get some heat on you. I'm going to give you some clotheslines in the corner. I'm going to shoulder block you. And then while you're down on the ground, I'm just going to saunter around slowly. And I'm just going to have that crowd right where I want them. Because that's what professional wrestling is. Strip everything away from it. It's about one thing. Making everybody in the arena and everybody watching at home total marks. I don't say that in a negative sense. I say that and you make them turn their brains off. They know it's not like 100%. They know it's not a shoot. They know it's a work. But you're so good at what you're doing that I forget about it. And LA Knight stays this hot. He only has, and if he, well, if he stays this hot and he does the end ring work at a level good enough to where he can tell the story he needs to tell in the ring, he can feed off the crowd, he can get them to buy what he's selling in a match, the crowds will be hot, the crowds will go nuts during his matches, and it will all be good, brother. So don't worry, Adam. There is no reason to worry about L. A night. Yeah. Yeah. So that was stock up, stock down. Another WWE point I wanted to hit real quick. They touted the shit out of payback. You see this? Hear about this? They bolstered all about these numbers. Highest, you know, crushed viewership compared to the last payback, you know, like on streaming. Now keep in mind. The last in-person payback was in 2017. The most recent payback was in 2020 in the Thunderdome. That was when Roman actually won the title that he's still holding today. Largest gate since pay, largest gate in the history of the payback event since 2016. Most merch sold up 182% from the previous mark sent at payback. Set at payback 2016. Now, I, that's not unlike WWE to tout their numbers. They do it all the time. But I couldn't help but wonder if a little bit of this was just because kind of like a tongue-in-cheek dig at AW nonstop mentioning how they put on the biggest wrestling event in the history of the world, which actually it was accurate. They drew the largest crowd ever that didn't involve a dictatorship forcing them to go to the, the event. So it is true, but you can't help if that company that business-wise is way behind them touting that and talking about it and mentioning it and mentioning it and make t- making digs and mentioning it about how it's a fact. You can't argue it. It happened. I can't help if WWE was like, oh, yeah, payback. Look at these payback stats. Huh? Look at these payback stats. Part is just to be like, hey, investors, look how good we're doing. And also part to be like, hey, we heard you. Shut the fuck up, okay? <laughs> All right. So I got to my WWE talk this week. You can't yell at me, people. I got there. I'm going to take a quick break. When we come back, we got a dub talk. We got all out, a certain large news event happened, a certain vacancy in the roster has opened up, so I'm going to have to talk about that, and uh, some other tidbits, here's and there's, grab a swig of water, I'll be right back. All right, guys, we are 
back to talk some AEW. Before I get into it, though, um, I did get in to get sent to me uh, a little news update from our field correspondent, Nigel Corninghole. He's been all over the place. He was in London for All In. Flew over there, got to Pittsburgh in time for uh, payback for WWE. Hopped up to Chicago the next day for All Out. Just can't give him enough credit for all the work he's doing. He did go ahead. He sent us in a little news report um, from Chicago uh, prior to getting on his plane to head home. Uh, So I'm going to go ahead and we're going to go ahead and play that right here. Hello, everybody. It is your favorite field correspondent, Nigel Corninghole. I am supposed to be coming to you from Chicago, but there has been a bit of a mix up. Um, as it turns out, I am still in London. I, I, I flew in here for um, AEW's Allen event that took place last week and uh, got in early, decided to get a little better to eat, went to Nando's. Heard a lot about chickens, great, by the way. But uh, on the way out, I thought I saw what I, th- I appeared to be Will Osprey, and I approached him. It turned out it was not. It was actually just a group of, of young men from uni, and um, not very nice men. They uh, proceeded to beat the shit out of me. And they took my wallet and basically everything besides my cell phone and a fresh pair of undies. And uh, so, I mean, it was truly traumatic. I mean, it, it was like it was like those kids that Colin Farrell was their boxing teacher and the gentleman. I mean, they were jumping around and beating me and, and, and they had me on video doing some sort of rap routine. And was, I mean, I was scared for my life. I mean, I truly can feel what Tony Khan was going through. You know, I, I understand. But uh Unfortunately, because of that, I, I have been stranded in London since then. Um, no money, so I can't get a hotel. Uh, so I've kind of just been Tom Hanks in it, you know, terminal, living at the airport, which they're not they're not taking too kindly to that at this point. Um, you know, I, I reached out to town alone. Someone back from someone from HR got back to me, and they said that uh, they were going to um, try to get it sorted. But in the meantime, they asked if I had family in the area that I I could live with, and I don't understand where this misinterpretation keeps coming from, everybody. I am I am not British. I have no family over here. Follow me on Twitter. I am from Saskatchewan. I don't know why people seem to think... I don't know what air it is about me or what, what I put on that would make people think I'm British, but I'm not. I have nowhere to stay. Um, and so I really need to get out of London. So, you know, I apologize once again. I was not in Chicago uh, for All Out, but I was here for Alan last week and um well i have a report for that one so there was a lot of fireworks and okay so once again in total honesty everybody another slight step up on my part um when i was jumped by those unsightly ruffians uh, they also took my press credentials and my tickets for the show which for the life of me i don't know why I had paper copies of that and no digital copies of any of that. A real boomer mistake on my part. But yeah, so I could not get in. But I was outside the building, and I could tell you, a lot of pyro, very loud. And at one point, I heard what sounded like some Canadian doing a, uh, a rendition of Freddie Mercury. So if that is news, then you heard it here first from Nigel Corninghall. So uh, in the meantime, <laughs> I do apologize, and... Um, you know, but I would like to get out of London. Uh, no one likes to be stranded at the airport. It can cause people to get very upset. And um, so, you know, uh, Michael, if you're listening, and you could do me a favor, and please um, get me the fuck out of London. Thank you. Wow. All right. Uh, Nigel, I'm sorry to hear that you're going through all that. Um, I have not received anything 
you know, if that came across my desk, I would have gotten it sorted out ASAP to get you out of there. You know, I would never get upset that uh, after spending all the time and money to get you press credentials and tickets all in that you would then lose them getting beat up by 17 year olds uh, only three hours into your stay in London. I would never get so frustrated by that, that I would then accidentally lose, you know, your email about how you need to trip home. I would never do that. That'd be spiteful on my part. But uh, I tell you what, I'm going to go ahead and we get this sorted out right away. Um, we'll try to get you home. Probably not home. I mean, WWE has the superstar spectacle happening in England in a couple of days. So it might just be a beeline straight to India, not England, India. So, but we'll get it taken care of. Sorry about that, bud. So despite Nigel not having a lot of news to give us an all out, don't worry, I'm here. And I got all the news for you in the form of the second edition of the Town Alone Pro Wrestling Podcast Pay-Per-View Awards. Now I know, there was two pay-per-views this week. So you're like, hey, how come how come Payback didn't get awards? Well, you know what? I can only give awards to one show at a time, people. All right? I'm trying my hardest to keep it together. So, you know, AEW got them last week. They're getting them again this week. First award, this is the big one. We're starting off strong here. The Brian Danielson Memorial Match of the Night Award. This was a tough one. There was three matches, and you could have been right in any sense. Main event, Cassidy versus Mox. Omega Takeshita. And then this one, which I went with as my winner. And that was the Brian Danielson-Ricky Starks strap match. Holy shit, did these two just... Put on a banger. Match went 2240. Starks gets a huge boost in this match. I mean, wrestled his ass off and did not quit, did not tap out, but he passed out. I think he got such a boost from this. And honestly, I've been saying for weeks, this dude needs to be a babyface. And with there currently being a big uh, vacancy in the, you know, upper babyface tiers on, on the company's roster, I can't help but think like Ricky Starks should probably turn him back to babyface and put him in that slot. Because this is one of those performances that, even if he's a heel coming out of it, crowds were already cheering him when they were supposed to be booing him. And then after this performance, there's going to be more on it. And Daniel Bryan comes back a month early after breaking his arm and puts on this kind of performance. Like, it, it gets thrown around, you know? People say, um, you know, like in passing. Daniel Bryanson, who's uh, Brian Danielson, who's considered, you know, by many to be one of the greatest wrestlers in the world, greatest wrestlers of all time. It just gets like, it gets thrown on there, added on as some extra words in a sentence of an article or, or in a comment when you're talking. But no, it's factually accurate, people. He's arguably, if not the, you know what? I'll just put my flag down. He is the greatest wrestler of like the last 15 years hands down there's not many others you can put up in his category and for him to lose the chunk of his career he, he lost and then he came back and for him to this, this his AEW run in the matches he's put on on a few days notice to be like hey we need you change your plans is your arm going to be okay can we get you in there now and I know this match didn't have like the greatest build in the world because it was a last second switcheroo you know they had to go with a different it was supposed to be punk 
trust me more on him later. And instead, we had they had to go with they had to go with another dragon. <laughs> if you didn't see uh, Ricky Steamboat on Collision being like, "Go ahead, sign it. It's what you want." Starks versus the dragon. Hmm. Starks versus the dragon. Everybody, you see the dragon. That's what it says on the contract. The dragon. You'll never guess, guys. But they were talking about a different dragon. So, but either way, the match tells a great story. It was brutal. It, it One of the greatest things about what Danielson does, and this kind of touches back on like the LA Knight conversation I had a moment ago about sucking the crowd in, making them believe. Everything Danielson does in his matches just looks so real. The intensity he wrestles with makes everything just it's so easy to get so lost in his matches and be like you know what i i, I don't i know wrestling's at work but my god like this shit looks real to me like it, it makes you get so invested in it because of how good he is and he also decides to go i don't know many people actually listen to the uh media scrums i often do most of the time it feels like a two-hour waste of my life, but I do. And one of the people I will say, if he ever is on, which I wish I wish AEW at some point, even if it's just like at the very end of the night, little little thing in the bottom corner telling you, you know, what three wrestlers are going to be on the media scrum. I wish they would do that just to let you know ahead of time. But one of the ones that actually is really good when he goes up there is uh, Danielson. I mean. Well, the other one that was really good was CM Punk, but unfortunately that, you know, he couldn't really top his last one, so he, he, he kind of went out on a bang. But it is so interesting to hear Danielson talk about just, like, wrestling in life and get, like, a little bit of an insight into his mind. Super intelligent dude. And um, you can tell when people ask him questions at these things that – he actually like comes across thoughtful in his answers. Like he actually takes a second and gives thoughtful answers that it feels like have a little bit of a meaning behind them instead of just throwing something out to move on to the next question. And he opens up this scrum, his portion talking about the match and puts over Ricky Starks like crazy and, and says like blatantly says not changing his words. He says, Ricky Starks carried me through that match coming back from this injury short like late notice carried me through that match and another really interesting point he made um and it was kind of one of those like whoa moments you know like a like a magician kind of like reveals something he did and you're like whoa i didn't i totally missed that so he said because someone asked him about you know how the arm's doing and everything and you know he said that they have great doctors at aw blah blah, blah and he said that um they ran everything they were going to do in that match by not only AW doctors, but by the surgeon that worked on his arm to make sure like it was all copacetic. And then he said, and a lot of you probably didn't notice it, but I didn't throw a single strike with my right arm, which was the broken one. And I was just like, holy shit. I did not notice that. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who heard that. Were like, mm, no, I noticed it pretty early on. I caught on. <laughs> yes. I have a very pristine, a very astute eye when I watch professional wrestling whatever I was so sucked into the match that I did not notice that and I feel sorry for you if you actually did um there's like a little thing like holy shit he worked he put on an unreal match four and a half stars 
according to Wade Keller at the Torch, if that's anything you put stock in. I just mentioned his because he's, I know he's not like the star guy that everybody thinks of, but in being a reader of his for a long time, I feel like he is, he doesn't ever go above five. And I feel like he is a little more uh, stringent on his ratings. Um, but he puts on this phenomenal match, never throws a single strike with one arm, with one of his arms. And he puts on a match that tells this amazing story that despite having no real build outside of Richie Steamboat being like, you're facing the dragon, but not this dragon, that dragon, that being the whole build. And he still tells an amazing story in that match and just put on an unbelievable display of professional wrestling and brutality that, I mean, one of those matches that you're like, God damn, this is why I love watching this shit so much. I can't say enough about it, but I'll move on because I don't have all day to wax poetic about Brian Danielson. Next award. The Attempted Manslaughter Award goes to Don Callis. Omega Takeshita, also one of my favorite matches of the night, was really close to getting the Brian Danielson Memorial Match of the Night Award. But during the match, Callis leaves the commentary table, you know, and as they mentioned, they had a a backup plan, you know, um, and Omega was down with his head kind of like sticking out underneath the bottom rope. And Callis didn't just go into, you know, do like a very pro wrestling, like jab of the screwdriver or like dig the point into his skull or anything. He did a full on like judge slamming a gavel swing with the intent to impale and murder Kenny Omega live on pay-per-view. Thank God Kenny Omega moved. Or else that would have been a travesty. Luckily, he moved. Screwdriver gets impaled into the ring. And it would come into play like a moment later. Takeshita grabs it. Um, and Omega sets him up for the one-winged angel. But Bryce Remsburg, who is on his game. Which, by the way, quick shout-out. Rick Knox has to return. I gave Rick Knox the Charles Robinson Ref Bump of the Night Award last week. And I got my bald referees mixed up. It was actually Bryce Remsburg who ref the main event at All In. So that's rightfully his award, Rick. So if you see him, give it to him. Um, but anyway, Remsburg, on his game, he sees Takeshita has the screwdriver, grabs it out of his hand, but that gave Takeshita the opening he needed to wiggle out of it, out of the one-winged angel, which is good, because if Kenny hit it, it was over. Because as we all know, people, no one kicks out of the one-winged angel. But Takeshita hits a knee, two-count, drops the knee pad, hits another knee, and gets the win. Let's go. I love Kenny Omega, but myself and Adam, both in our predictions, were like, yo, go all in on Takeshita. He got the roll-up win a week ago. Give him the singles win here. Like, let's do it. And not only did he do it, I mean, it wasn't clean, but it was as clean as it could be while also (laughs) – it was clean as it could be while also still including some – heelish interference and chicanery big boost to to, to Kesha and I mean the match as I said was great if you're a fan of a more new Japan pro style match this is this is the shit for you awesome what I also love about this and if I can like rub my like crystal ball (laughs) sorry I was just thinking of as I said rub my and all the terrible 
things people were worried I was going to say after it, but no, just my crystal ball um, to look into the future here. So Takeshita has the singles win over Kenny. Now they should go their separate ways for a little while. And then down the line, six months, whatever, you could have them cross paths again. And this could be for, I don't know, it could be for one of the bajillion tournaments that Tony Khan does to determine a number one contender for the world title, you know, because he was all like, yeah, we're going to have records and rankings. And then he was like, ah, fuck it. We'll just do tournaments. Um, and they can cross paths there. That's where Omega can get his win back. Okay. And then later on, they cross paths again. And that is where Takeshita, without, he can still be a heel, but without any outside chicanery from Callis or whoever, whoever gets the true clean victory over Kenny Omega. See, this win here, this is part one. This is the big boost, but the solidifying win is still down the road. So like a great example of this that I think of is Kazuchika Okada. So in 2012, after Wrestle Kingdom 6, he makes his, at the end of Wrestle Kingdom 6, he makes his big return from Excursion, comes out at the end of the show after Hiroshi Tanahashi defended his title against uh, Suzuki in the main event and lays down the challenge. Goes on to the New Beginning show. This brash, arrogant kid beats the ace, Hiroshi Tanahashi, and wins the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. But that's just step one. That's just the initial boost. Okay, go further down. Dominion. Tana gets back on top of the mountain. You know, the top dog, you know, knocks the kid back down and he's back on top. Okada proceeds to then go on. He wins the G1. And next year at Wrestle Kingdom 7, the main event is Okada versus Tanahashi. And so at Wrestle Kingdom, Okada actually loses again, right? So it's like he still hasn't gotten that win to cement him. He goes on to win the New Japan Cup, and then at Invasion Attack of that year, he finally beats Tanahashi, doesn't catch him off guard or anything, and finally like conquers that mountain. It came in stages. You see what I'm saying? He got that big boost win at the beginning, but then they were able to tell a story to eventually lead to another win that actually cemented him at that place on the card. And I feel like they have an opportunity here to do the same thing with Omega Takeshita, if done right, if everybody stays healthy. And if they play the long game with it, but we'll have to wait and see. Next award. The Samuel L. Jackson Badass Motherfucker Award for the second week in a row goes to Samoa Joe. Joe, 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 Joe. So after uh, um, Better Than You, Baby, opened the show and beat Dark Order to retain their ROH tag team titles. Um... They're walking up the ramp. MJF's favoring the neck. He actually left during the match and then came back out full of piss and vinegar. I'm not leaving. I'm here to help my brother, Adam Cole, and they retain the belts. But as they're walking up the ramp, Joe's coming out, get ready to get down to business to defend his belt against Shane Taylor. And he just shoves MJF. <laughs> like, fucking bullies him. Like, walking down the hallway, saw a kid with a pocket protector and shoved his ass into the lockers. <laughs> Bullied him. One bad motherfucker. That obviously leads to this big pull-apart pull brawl in the ring. And basically, I'd imagine, while he hasn't been confirmed to be a part of it yet, signals Samoa Joe will also be in the, the Eliminator tournament to set up a challenger at Grand Slam. 
Next award we got here is the Well Actually Award. And that goes to uh, it goes to Excalibur, who during the TBS title match, Statlander versus Ruby Riot, it was Nigel and my memory escapes me because they rotate the third man on the booth throughout the night. Whoever else was whoever was out there at that point, and they're both hitting on this point about Statlander not having the big game experience, you know, the high pressure experience, and that could be the difference. And then Excalibur is like, just throws in there that she wrestled for the AEW women's title at All Out in 2021. <laughs> She's like, yeah, guys, yeah, you're fucking wrong. Shut up. Um, well, actually, she um, challenged for the women's world title in 2021, and that's pretty high pressure. So, and just cut the legs out underneath them. Very funny. Uh, Statlander would go on to win that match after a little. Soraya was out there with Ruby Riot doing outcast things. They grabbed the. Uh, the spray paint can. My eyes started to roll. I started to groan. And then Tony Storm came out from under the ring, snatched the spray can, and uh, basically screwed over her friends, no longer friends, frenemies, besties, not besties, and the outcast dis- outcast dissolution. Sure, we'll use that word. Um, continues. Tony Storm, this like tweak to the character of her being kind of like this at first, it was a little too over the top, but now it's starting to come around, you know? It's kind of, like, over-the-top British, like... Like, she cut that promo on Dynamite about how she, like, doesn't know who her friends are. She can't trust anybody, and it was so, like, oh, oh, Lord, I'm so... Oh, my heavens, I just don't even know. Like, for some reason, it's, like, way over-the-top and hilarious, but it's kind of working for me. I don't know. Next award is the... Oh, boy. This is the uh, Brant Goody Goodleaf. Settle down, award. All right. Um, Brant Goodleaf, obviously a legendary hockey player for the Sudbury Bulldogs, for those who don't know. Uh, and this goes out to whoever you want to give it to, but it pertains to the Miro versus Powerhouse Hobbs match. Miro and Hobbs, they go about 1540. Big hoss fight. Two big dudes. The guys work their ass off, put on a great match. At some point in this match, the meat chants start. And then the crowd really gets into it. And they're coming up with every clever meat chant they can think of. And I'm not, yeah. Was it fun? Yes. Was I laughing as I was watching? Uh-huh. That, that It was. It was funny. A lot of it was funny. But settle down. Because what it also kind of shows is an issue. Tony Khan got asked about it in his post-show presser, the media scrum. And someone asked him, comparing it to the year prior, when the place went nuts for the acclaim and wanted them to beat Swerve in our glory. And he said, yeah, it's exactly what I was thinking as it was happening. It was like a similar moment. In what universe is that a similar moment? Because in one of those moments, the crowd was definitively getting behind an act. In this one, the crowd wasn't getting definitively behind either of them and decided to, you know, have fun and put themselves in, you know, get themselves over by making meat chants. And like I said, they were funny. It was fun. But let's examine, like, this is why this this isn't a good thing in hindsight. Because, and not to be Mr. Rain on your parade, I'm sorry, people who already bought their AEW Meet Forever shirt or whatever I'm sure they're going to, you know, push out now. But two guys go into this match. The build, not great. So all they really have are these two dudes who, Miro, since he's been back on collision, don't really have a clear feel for if he is someone 
the crowd should get behind or dislike or what he's going for. Powerhouse Hobbs is a heel, but still, I don't think he's featured enough to a point to where the crowd has any real, like, he doesn't have any, like, real, like, heavy heel heat behind him. So, you got these two big dudes, and they go in there, and they're having a great match, like I said. But the crowd isn't invested in either of them. So, what do they do? Is they start having fun, and they start making meat chants, and meat forever, and and beat that meat, slap that meat, all that good stuff, and haha, it's fun and great. But then, when the match ends, and now you want to tell your, you want to turn the ch- turn the page and tell the next chapter or begin the next chapter of this Miro story. You know, you have Hobbs beating him down, C.J. Perry, formerly known as Lana, comes out and comes out with music and poses while her husband's getting the shit kicked out of him. But ignoring that, she comes out to make this save. And the crowd's not chanting for Lana. They're not chanting C.J. Perry. They're not invested at all in whatever the story's supposed to be. They're chanting, beat that meat. Miro, after, you know, using the distraction to get the chair and hit Hobbs a few times and get out, of, get out of there, he then looks at his wife like she's a ghost and abandons her and walks up the ramp. Crowd doesn't give a shit about that. They're chanting, slap that meat. So as fun as it was, no, it was not like at All Out last year where the crowd legitimately wasn't just going into business for themselves to have fun, but instead was trying to send a message to Tony Khan that we fucking like these guys, push these guys, and he did. He did. What, what's the message here? Push meat? Okay. Next pay-per-view, MJF defends the title against meat. Are you happy now? Okay, how much how much meat merchandise can you sell and make money in the long term? Let me know. But they didn't care about this story. And I think, call me a crazy person, but I think if, as a booker, I'm just guessing that a Tony Khan, how he saw that playing out, and he said, well, you can either have the crowd chanting about meat, or you can have them show some kind of investment in Miro in this story with the debuting Lana. I hope he would take the investment in the story. But I don't know. Because this whole the whole meat thing just screamed of an issue that AEW has sometimes with some stories they try to tell and they fail. Where it becomes ironic, tongue-in-cheek, ha-ha wrestling. And I'm not saying that's what that match was. But that's how the crowd is treating it. So just settle down. Settle down. It's really an award. Maybe like a little bit of a, I guess we call it where we have the ring shot, ringside shots of the night. You remember, if you ever watched really old wrestling, um, always looks so cool because they'd have actual, I don't really see it as much anymore. Um, I think like obviously AEW and WWE have their own people on staff who do it. But way back in the day, there would be people who, like journalists who would actually be able to get like ringside to take pictures while these matches were going on. Um, Paul Heyman got his start in wrestling by finding a way. I, th- I think the story goes, I think he was under 18 at the time, but he found a way to get in there and let at Madison square garden for WWF at the time. And he would be one of those people at ringside. You go back, you see all these people down outside of the ring with big old cameras. It's a cool thing. You don't see it anymore, obviously, but 
it's kind of a cool thing to look back and see it. So here are some of my ringside shots of the night. And they both come from our main event. One would be, oh, I actually have three of them, I'm sorry. One is the funny one, and that's the main event, Cassidy versus Mox, as I mentioned. And they have a grueling, just shy of like 20 minutes, beat the living shit out of each other. And um, eventually, Orange Cassidy, the grueling list of uh, title defenses all catch up to him. And he eventually, bloodied and beaten, cannot defeat Mox, and Mox wins the international title. Now, the first ringside shot of the night is what, you know, what is it? Pride cometh before the fall. It was that moment where beaten and unable to continue. Cassidy kicks out of a death rider and then Mox waits. And as Cassidy gets up to his knees, Cassidy flips the defiant, the defiant double birds, which was the signal. Okay. Cassidy's done (laughs) and takes another death rider and Moxley wins the match. But the shot of him all bloodied, double bird to Mox, awesome shot. I wish, in hindsight, there was no way to know this. Considering I'm sure how this card probably changed over the week. Um, and that this would end up being the main event. But I do wish that Jericho didn't do the same thing against Osprey the week before. But that's super nitpicking. Ignore me. Um, the other shot is after the show. The pictures I've gotten out of Cassidy in the ring, covered in blood with the lackadaisical thumbs up, and Statlander and the best friends all hugging him. Awesome shot. And the third one was what I loved is as Moxley's going up the ramp, because they finished the show with the, the um, standing O for OC uh, to give him his flowers and just further kind of give him a boost out of that match. But I thought he did get a really, really good uh, boost of credibility with that match, even though he lost. But Mox is up there on the ramp with the rest of BBC, and he's kind of like staggered, and he's looking back at the ring, and he has this look on his face like, what the fuck? Like, where did that come from? He looks bewildered. Like, what? What? That was not supposed to be that hard. Where the fuck did that Orange Cassidy come from? And it's a little thing, but it's like, ah, goddammit, Mox. That is such a perfect expression to sell the outcome of this match is that Orange Cassidy proved he could hang with you, could fight with you. You did doubted it. You didn't see it coming, but by God, he earned some respect. And he earned some respect to all the fans and got a big boost from it. And that boost was kind of just sold by that little look by Moxley back at the ring. Like, holy shit. Did not expect that. Awesome. Thousand thumbs up and flowers thrown to Moxley for that one little facial expression. And so that's all out. To go a little farther, my odd awards. To go a little farther into that main event, because I did really enjoy it. it. It's a little slower, you know. There was a lot of Cassidy getting the shit kicked out of him. But it just is one of those matches where it starts a little slower at the beginning. But then you can kind of feel it start going and going. And then it builds up. And down the stretch, it was just fucking awesome. And yeah, you can say what you want. All the blood. Moxie's always bleeding. I don't give a shit. You watch that and you don't enjoy it, don't watch pro wrestling. Because that was a damn good match. I stand by that. I I do wonder, Mox, international title, how that's going to work out. They uh, they hammered that title throughout the show, throughout the post-show scrum, and the build-up about how important Cassidy has made that title. It's one of the most prestigious titles in the sport now, and they hammered it and hammered it and hammered it. And 
I just hope, I mean, they got someone like Mox carrying it. So they got the big star carrying the belt. And I just hope they got something good lined up for Mox to continue that. Because as of right now, he's scheduled to defend it against AR Fox on Dynamite tonight. I am recording this on Wednesday, so a lot of what I say right now could probably end up being dated and make me sound stupid. But I usually sound stupid. I'm used to it. Um, That's not... Cassidy being where he was on the card at the time, that formula worked. Churn and burn. Have him do the impressive title reign where he's just defending, defending, defending. Mox is such a big star, that won't work as well. You can't put him in the ring with the AR Foxes of the world every week, and people won't really buy at all into him losing, and it won't like give any credibility to Mox or that belt. So they're going to have to change strategy on how they book that. It'll be interesting to see what they do. But all right, as we finish up the podcast here, I guess um, there's nothing else to talk about. That's it. Nothing else happened in AEW, and uh, it's been a good week. All right. So let's talk about it. This uh, will most likely be my last CM Punk diatribe or long-form conversation for a minute. Who knows, though? As he was officially, on Saturday, prior to collision, a day before All Out, fired with cause from AEW. So, quick recap. Situation with Perry at Allin. Internal investigation. I think as of, it was Thursday, on the media show presser, or like the media conference call TK does prior to pay-per-views, he got straight up asked about, are you going to let people know if Punk's going to be on that show or not prior to it happening, which would be the right thing to do. And he said, I hope so. That That is the plan. I hope we have it resolved by then. And uh, they got it resolved by then. Um, it was announced Saturday, just a few hours before collision. Um, AEW sent out an official press release about the termination with Tony Khan's statement saying, Phil played an important role with AEW, and I thank him for his contributions. The termination of his AEW contract with cause is ultimately my decision and mine alone. Of course, I wish I didn't have to share this news, which may come as a disappointment to many of our fans. Nevertheless, I am making the decision in the best interest of the many amazing people who make AEW possible every week, our talent, staff, venue operators, and many others whose effort are unsung by essential to bringing our fans great shows on television, at arenas and stadiums throughout the world and then he would go on at collision to deliver a statement to the live crowd and also a video statement would i believe air at the top of the show for those watching on tv and they posted on all his social media accounts where he said that he's been going to wrestling shows for 30 years he's been producing them for four and this was the he never before had he ever felt like uh crew the security was in danger and, and, and his life was in danger he said he feared for his life so we don't know the Wembley video footage will never be seen the uh rumors about behind closed doors or away from other people interactions between punk and con not being pretty we'll never know I will tell you that the line I feared for my life. Sounds like Tony Khan is preparing for a deposition. <laughs> that could very well be coming. 
that probably depends on the terms of Punk's termination if he feels necessary to sue. The fact that they say with cause was not by accident. That's so that is legal speak, so people know that they were within their rights to do this. And if there's a monetary issue or a disagreement on when Punk can work somewhere else, that could be the kind of thing that would lead to a legal issue. Will that happen? I don't even know. I can't even begin to think about that. But let's just like kind of put a, uh, a memoriam on the CM Punk run here in AEW. And just for shits and giggles, earlier today before I recorded this podcast, I went back and I rewatched the infamous All Out Media Scrum from last year. And I got to say, a year later, I still fucking love it. <laughs> I don't care. I know he went about airing his grievances in a wrong way. And yeah, I mean, there's times there where he just totally, like right off the bat, after he makes his initial comments about the Colca Band situation, Tony Khan starts to say, like, I, I really should have not no comment to that and i should have cleared up when i talked to and punk just cuts him off and he's like it's not your job to do that you shouldn't have to do that there's a couple times where con starts to talk and cm punk's just like be quiet (laughs) it takes over but other than that i know he said some things that unfortunately led to a bad situation that happened afterwards i understand the severity of it people but rewatching that i'm still like god damn do i love cm punk and this will be probably like the one time in this talk where i let my bias show i'm gonna try to keep it reined in um after this but that right there is like the person people who really love cm punk i feel like you saw that and you're like yeah that's the dude that i like because he's that he just he says what he feels and he stands behind it 100 percent um and sometimes that gets causes issues with the way he goes about doing that but that's what endeared him to a lot of fans believe it or not the only difference is this time he was shit talking the beloved, you know, some very beloved wrestlers who helped found the company compared to the evil corporate overlords of another company. So that could be a big difference in the way some people online took this. Um, with that out of the way, who's to blame? If you're someone using up your 240 or however many characters on Twitter slash X or on anywhere any media outlet and you are putting all the blame on any side the bucks punk whoever in the elite camp you're an idiot who doesn't understand the term uh nuance maybe everybody's to blame everybody is to blame people Every single person. Punk can't let things go. It, it's part of his character. He cannot let things go. And if something happens that he feels like is a slight to him or he thinks is bullshit towards him, he's going to say something. And the elite? I don't even say that. I'll say that the Bucks or some people that he had grievances with don't operate that way. They can be very passive-aggressive and poke and prod um, with comments and actions that when dealing with someone like Punk would, as it showed, piss him off. And both sides are to blame. Tony Khan shares a lot of blame for the way things 
the, the way the last year has shook out. I mean, all the power to him to think, I can take the second show on Collision, I can put Punk and the guys who are pro-Punk over here, and I keep them separated. It's not even a matter of thinking that will work. It's a matter of you thinking that I need you need to go to those lengths already shows you have a big fucking problem. You shouldn't have to consider going to those lengths. If you do, then, like, eh, stop it. We got to go back and, like, earlier in the situation and, and come up with a new idea. Like, that right off the bat, that idea wasn't going to prevent what eventually ended up happening. And what ended up happening is very similar to what happened with the All Out situation. Stories came out. Punk got frustrated. He already was frustrated to begin with. And then Jack Perry makes the comment. And that's all it took. Tony Khan was there. He saw the comment get made. He didn't have the wherewithal to say, to tell people the security that was around, the production crew that was around, that he was scared for their safety. He didn't, after dealing with this situation for as long as he have has, and knowing these personalities involved, he didn't have the wherewithal to say, hey, when Perry comes through that curtain, grab him, take him to his locker room, tell him to wait there, I'm going to come speak to him, and say, punk, I'll take care of it, and leave it at that. He didn't. Now someone can say, oh, you're out there, how do you know? All right, fine. I don't know. I strongly fucking doubt he did. And then we saw what happened. Now, Khan finally made his decision. He's going to stand by it. All right. He, um, he seemed in a, the, the post-show scrum after all of this year, I will say he seemed, he seemed a little less stressed. Or it may have just been one of those things where, like, after just, like, a stressful, crazy-ass week, the person is just kind of like, whatever, man. <laughs> like, I've hit my limit, my circuits are fried, and whatever. But he seemed a little more at ease. I don't know why. But just all, all the talk of, oh, well, Punk's, Punk was a common denominator. Punk's, Punk wasn't the only common denominator. Okay. The Bucks... Hangman, even Jack Perry, that's all part of the group that Punk was having issues with. The names can change in the stories, but it is all part of the same camp. That's not me putting all the blame on them. I'm saying everybody's to blame, but I'm saying the idea that Punk was the common denominator and he's gone now, everything's grand, is a little short-sighted, guys. Here's... um. An interesting, uh, some interesting comments that Mark Henry made on Busted Open with David LaGreca and Bully Ray. And he was asked if he thought AEW was in a better place without Punk and Henry. And you have to, I'm going to read it, what he said, but I will say, what he said was dripping with sarcasm. And you can go listen to the segment if you want to get a vibe for how his words were really coming across. But he said, yes, now you can freely go and there will be no more complaining. There should be no more complaining. The problem is gone. The so-called problem is everything should be shits and giggles and unicorn pee and rainbow blankets. That's what it should be now. I'm curious to see how it's going to be. The problem is solved. And Bully Ray went on to compare Punk, uh, brought up a Dennis Rodman comparison. And 
Mark Henry said when, when Robin left, the team got worse. When he left Chicago, they got worse. San Antonio, they got worse. Detroit got worse when he left because he was a defensive stalwart. I'm going to go against your best player, and I'm going to make his life miserable. It's going to affect his offense. As far as Punk is concerned, it's not the offense it's not the offense affected. It's the money, the gates, the live events, the brass tax dealing with licensing products and merchandising money coming in. Money is going to be affected. Still, everything is solved now. The problem is gone, and there should be peace and prosperity in life. And then when David LaGreca mentioned um, that fans got tired of talking about the punk drama, Henry commented, that's punk's fault. And then LaGreca and Henry both agreed that public perception-wise, punk was being blamed for much of it. Um and that just kind of led to Henry talking about All In, where he said he wasn't backstage, but the details came out really quickly. And he said, there have always been stooges and moles. You want to nip that in the bud and put punishments out there for it. If you find out this person did this or leaked that, how can you trust that? You have to have hard punishment for that. I don't think there is. I think people feel they're going to get a slap on the wrist, if anything. So they're going to keep exposing what happened behind the scenes. It sucks. Now, real quick, shout out Fightful.com that had an article that um, transcripted all that. So huge shout out to them. Uh, but he brings up a good point. And it goes back to my thing that everybody's at fault and that there is still going to be an issue. Now, the difference is the issue will most likely not reach physical levels with many of their people back there. Um. But there will be an issue. There was there was drama reports coming out quickly and often before Punk showed up about things going on backstage, this and that. I mean, the second Punk got signed, there was reports, constant reports every day about like, uh, so far everything's good. Everybody in the back says Punk's Punk's nice. Punk's everything's good. Like people were just waiting for shit to go off the rails. And I could tell. I I said this on a podcast before. Shit was going to go off the rails. Knowing uh, as an outside observer, not knowing any of these people personally, just from the perceived personality of cm punk in the bucks and etc i was like yeah that is eventually going to come to a fucking head because cm punk's in a lot in this business he's a big fucking deal okay and he's coming in and then you have the bucks and the elite who are like hey our name's in the fucking in the company name we built this place and they have polar opposite opinions on how to handle issues and confrontation like it was eventually going to implode at some point did I think it would implode to these lengths? Absolutely not. So I definitely underestimated on that part. Whoops. But this is not, I don't think it'll be the end of all the drama. I do agree with Mark Henry that something's got to be done. News is getting out so fast that there are people who are immediately picking up their phones, texting, emailing, whatever. To news outlets to let them know what's going on and that's not coming from a pro punk place that's coming from just a general looking at aw um and you want to ask me someone who my, one of my favorite wrestlers of all time cm punk she had been fired unfortunately yeah you know i don't think he was fully to blame i think punishment should be handed out to multiple people in all of the situations but it reached, reached a point where Tony Khan really, like I said, there was nothing else he could do. And he had to make a move. And Jack Perry is suspended indefinitely. This will affect his career. I don't think it will 
alter it that bad because he I mean from the outside how it looks he's you know tight with the other party that was on the opposite fence side of the fence with punk and he went out and made the comment that you know pushed the uh the boulder down the hill so in a way it's kind of like a, a guy in the mafia goes away for a little bit does his time doesn't snitch and comes back with a hero's welcome But I will say for the record, yeah, Punk getting fired, it did kind of have to happen, unfortunately. If there was a different way to play it that ended with CM Punk being in AEW, fuck yeah, I would have went for that instead. But I understand why Tony Khan was like, ah, this is a fucking mess, one that he played a hand in making, and I got to make drastic moves to clean it up. And that was the first drastic move, and we'll see if there's more to come. Um... What does this mean for Collision? I know, report is they already told Warner Brothers, like, hey, soft roster split's done, which makes sense. Uh, Daniel Bryan being back will be a huge thing. He even, in his, in the media scrum, mentioned about, because they brought up him taking more of a hands-on role backstage and creative with Collision and everything, and he talked about trying to balance that with, because I guess Tony Khan recently made a comment where he told his dad that if something ever happened to him, you know, God forbid, if something ever happened to him, Daniel Brown would be the guy to turn everything over to. Fucking high praise, but it makes sense. Um, and Brian was talking about how, like, he's trying to balance the wrestling side of his life with the fact that he does have a wife and kids and he wants to be there for all the, you know, soccer games, this, that, or whatever. And it's very hard. Um, and so Tony Khan even spoke up and said, you know, I actually think like, you know, keeping that in mind, Saturdays actually work better with your schedule for your like, you know, personal life, you know, work-life balance. So I expect we see a lot of Daniel Bryan as kind of like the BCC member that will be on collision the most. It's obviously a, there's a big hole that needs to be filled with CM Punk being gone. But obviously I think the, um, the roster split is pretty much done. We'll see a lot more floating of people who previously would, be expected only to be on dynamite i mean shit the very first show after punk got fired they closed the show with the bucks coming out and making the save and you know after cameras stopped rolling the chant the crowds chanting cm punk at the bucks and matt's doing a little you know little like high arm swing and high knees lap around the ring it's wrestling so was part of him taking a little Victory jab, maybe, but part of it was also I'm gonna fuck with this crowd just to make him mad. You can look at it either way. I'm not gonna sit here and try to break down the footage of how he's running and his facial features to be like, nope, that was definitely a dig, hundred percent dig. <laughs> um, I'm not even gonna get into that. But yeah, so you'll definitely see more floating there. Collision, by the way. Whew. Bad week. Payback was happening and college football was happening, and they got their dick kicked into the dirt, as some would say. Ratings were, I jotted it down here, 345,000. By comparison, pre-taped Rampage the night before did 372,000. If you're doing Rampage numbers, you're doing bad numbers. Uh, the first quarter where people were obviously intrigued about what Tony was going to say about CM Punk, it started out at 472. By the time the show finished, the last quarter, which would have been the end of the Dax-J White match and then 
the Bucks coming in to make the save was down to 244. So ratings really bad. Now, WWE's not going to have a pay-per-view every week, so that's good. Um, college football is going to be going on for a while. So FSU, LSU was a big um, – not FSU, LSU. What was the big game Saturday? Because that would have been like North Carolina, South Carolina. Like that's a pretty big game. That would have hit them the most in the ratings. Uh, next week, primetime games on – Eight o'clock. Let's see here. So at seven o'clock, Texas Alabama will start, so that will hurt them big time. Um, yeah, that one sucks. <laughs> that is that. I mean, if you're not a big college football fan, you're probably like, "What does that matter?" But that is going to do big time numbers. And you get people who are like, "Well, how much crossovers are really?" Um, well, check the ratings last week. There's some crossover. Um, and more so this week, we'll get an idea payback out the window if they go back to doing similar collision numbers i'll be like okay good like our base audience isn't really affected by college football but there's a chance they could be in for a really rough fall and winter on that show and um you know just saying fired cm punk ratings dropped just kidding that was a joke it was a joke everybody calm down it was a joke last thing i just want to put a bow on is that i think the most unfortunate part about the whole cm punk situation over the last year is the way it's just put such a much like he spray painted the X on his real world championship. It just, it put such a bad kind of like uh fog over his AEW run. People won't remember. They won't look back and go, Oh man, that, that feud he had with MJF, that was some of the best shit AEW's ever done. You know, man, he had some really good matches wrestled some of like really young new talent, put on some great matches with them, teamed up with FTR to put on some bangers. You know, there's a lot of good professional wrestling that happened involving CM Punk and a lot of good business that was done involving CM Punk in AEW. And unfortunately, because of the way things ended, people are not going to remember that as much. And that is my biggest regret. Or my, the thing that upsets me the most, I should say, about how it all played out. There are reports. People have said that Punk is allegedly preparing to uh, kind of clap back and have something to say. Those are all just rumors at this point. If it really happens, we will see. And trust me, if it happens, people, I will be on here talking about it. So with that, I'm going to get out of here. Thank you, go, 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 go. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for tuning in again. Um, follow me at Town Alone Mike on Twitter, uh, at Town Alone T-A-P-W-P. Email us, Town Alone tapwp at gmail.com thanks again for nigel for uh giving us that news update on absolutely nothing maybe he won't lose his press credentials next time and we'll try to get him out of london as soon as possible see you guys i can't fucking talk today see you guys later on down the road